0: You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan, and we are here with Mark Talbot from Freedom Communities. Now, if you've been in Charlotte for a few years, you've probably heard about the social mobility study that ranked the Queen City 50th. Out of 50 metropolitan areas for upward mobility... And that's pathetic. Now, in other words, if you're born poor here in Charlotte, you're likely to remain poor your whole life if you stay here. It's it's distressing, to say the least. But guess what? There are people, there are organizations out there that are doing their part to try to change that. And our next guest on the Brown Builders podcast is part of a collaborative effort to change that statistic. Mark is, a, or is the Director of Economic Development at Freedom Communities, which is a nonprofit that's more than just a think tank. It immerses itself in the West Charlotte Corridor with tools to change lives. Now, with a resume in commercial real estate and ministry, his experience is the one-two punch that Charlotte needs to tackle its social mobility problem, and we are so excited to dive into this. Thank you, Mark, and welcome to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you, Mark. Um, We're really impressed by your scope of work, obviously, and uh, social mobility is a huge issue in our city. So tell us in your words about Freedom Communities and its mission.
1: Well, it's it's kind of a, like the work we're doing, what we do is complicated. <laughs> right. And uh, so Freedom Communities is a fairly young organization, three or four years old, born out of a group of successful business people who said – What can we do? What can we participate in uh, to be an answer to the problems of economic mobility, the problems of generational poverty, the systems that seem to be in place that have proven to be uh, perpetuating the problem rather than helping. And so a lot of research went into that and we became, uh, through that research, a place-based organization, meaning we are immersed and, and we have chosen uh, West Charlotte, particularly the Freedom Drive Corridor, to be our home, to be where we have chosen to go deep into the lives of families who live here and not just try to, uh, to handle some surface issues, but to go deep into the the connectedness between that occurs between housing and income. If you don't have good income, it's hard to have stable housing. Uh income, housing, and education. Your kids are if your kids are moving schools every year, which happens a lot, um, they don't get as good of an education. And that occurs many times because housing's not good, because incomes aren't good. And many times health care and health issues are enveloped into those systems as well. And and they all one reacts to the other. So if we're not going deep and dealing with the systems that are affecting the families, we're not going to be successful in helping anyone. So that's why we've chosen to be in the community, place based, right here in the West Charlotte area.
0: Before we dive deep into that, tell us a little bit about you know your background. You're originally from Charlotte, uh, and you do have a, a background in commercial real estate. Tell us about kind of you know where you were raised. How did you get into commercial real estate? we Would love to have a, a little background story there.
1: Yeah, well, I've lived a long time, so it's a long story. That <laughs> but uh, I will. Two minute ordinary, commercial. You know, <laughs> yeah. Mercy Hospital, if you've been to uh, Ortho Carolina's uh, knee and hip uh, facility, that is actually the old Mercy Hospital. Okay. And I was born in that building um, and grew up here, uh, graduated from Independence High School, was bused to Independence High School back in the 70s when busing was the big deal to desegregate Charlotte. Uh, I lived about a mile and a half from Garinger High School and got got on a bus and went 13 miles to Independence to high school uh, with kids from all over, uh, from the West Side, um, from Mid Hill, and all around. So it was, it was an interesting time in, in the life of Charlotte. <laughs> got out of high school, went to Clemson University, <laughs> um, Uh, Played a little baseball there, came out, got married, uh, went into the real estate business pretty soon after getting out of college, uh, mainly at the coast. Uh, Moved to Myrtle Beach, uh, was involved in the uh, resort development business, Uh, then went to work for a company and did uh, a lot of work in the value retail business, outlet mall business when it became popular back in the early 90s. and did a lot of build a suit work from everything from CVS to Blockbuster Video and all that kinds of things. 97 went out on my own, started my own company. Uh, We did commercial brokerage and development, leveraged sort of my experience with the other companies. And, uh, you know, did that really till 2011, uh, had come out of the great real estate debacle and um, had been, you know that devastated everybody, but it really was a crossroads, and I decided to do something different. Came back to Charlotte, joined a group called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, FCA, as many people know it, and uh, we had a great run. Had a lot of fun building FCA in Charlotte. Um, we I left in 2018 <clears throat> after uh, some personal. Lots of stresses from taking care of my brother who got sick and my dad who was sick, and lots of things. But uh, we were, had seen a lot of favor, and I fin- finished my job there. Um, we had 35 on staff, and a, and a lot of good things had happened. But I knew I wanted to do something else. And after some rest period, uh, joined Freedom Communities because an opportunity for me to, they needed um, somebody with some experience in capital management, real estate, affordable housing. <laughs> And, uh, hopefully, and who also cared about the mission. And, uh, uh, that was what was attractive to me was to be able to put those things to work. Yeah. I know how to do all those things, but doing them for a purpose, uh, really makes a difference. And so that, that's kind of my journey in a, in a quick nutshell, how I got here. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. You've had a lot going on, man right. Uh, Sounds like a, a great life. And here you are uh, working hard to give back and help others uh, create a great life as well. Um, I love it. Let's talk a little bit about you wanted. So you're in commercial real estate. You've been in Charlotte. Um, you obviously left a little bit, but you came back. What prompted you to really want to change really not only your understanding, but what was happening in the West Charlotte corridor?
1: That's, that's a great question. So uh, my work with FCA put me in direct contact with a lot of high school kids from West Meck, West Charlotte, Harding, Philippa Berry, um, North Mecklenburg, some of the schools that frankly were under, underfunded, they had been neglected in many ways. They were a concentration of pretty low income families. And, you know, some of the things that we learned, uh, We did it when I was the FCA, we did a football camp at UNC Charlotte. We would raise enough money to bring those schools, football teams to camp for three days. They would stay in dormitories, be on college campus. And for 95 percent of them, it was the first time they had ever stepped foot on a college campus. And these were juniors and seniors in high school. It just tells you how limited the opportunities are for those groups. We learned that. Uh, these were football players, and and for many of these schools, didn't even have uh, pre-game meals, wow. uh, didn't even have uh, – they would have practice in the evening. They would eat lunch at school, breakfast at school, but would go home after practice and really not know what they were going to eat till breakfast the next morning. <laughs> and coaches were having to build food pantries and build uh, accessible uh, food – resources for these athletes to be able to just eat three meals a day. So um, it kind of stirred my heart on that. Why is that going on? What's going on? And then I've really uh, been taken back by going back to my experience with desegregation. Then, as you're probably aware, in the late 80s, uh, desegregation was deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. So they said you can't do can't bus for the purpose of desegregation any longer. And so they quit and the concentration of poverty in Charlotte has only gotten worse. Meaning that when we were deep during busing, like it or not, there was this a little bit of moving around of social capital. There was a moving around and, and an intermingling of, of some opportunity and some different factors that once we went back to a more segregated school, meaning you're just going to school in your neighborhood. The concentration of poverty came there. Then gentrification began to happen in Charlotte, where families, in order to find an affordable home, began to buy into some of the west side neighborhoods, increasing values, increasing rents, pushing those with a lower income farther into a more concentrated areas and then all of a sudden you realize wow wait a minute everybody that's income is below $35,000 a year as a family is living in the same zip code is going to the same schools is suffering from the same underfunded parks and same underfunded schools and same underfunded services and how do they ever learn how do they ever get the the social capital to move out of that how do they ever find out hey there's a job across the way that I could get but I didn't even know it existed so it's complicated but that's what kind of stirred my heart to say there's there's got to be some things we can do about this
0: what type of things are you doing about that with uh freedom communities
1: well you know as I said it's complicated so we've got several different things going on we've got an affordable housing uh initiative where Uh, On a couple of levels, we have a partnership with Carlson Southeast where uh, they are uh, them as developer, we as owners developing affordable housing using all of the benefits. It takes everything available from the housing trust fund to low income housing tax credits. Uh, It's a very sophisticated process they help us with, but they're building, we are the owners, and different from what anybody else is doing, these are 100% affordable complexes, and they always will be. Those are two factors that that are rarely in, a, in new development. So we've built two now, Evoke Living at Sugar Creek and Evoke Living at Westerly Hills, around 150 or 60 units each, all income-based. So we're providing new homes that are available based on a family's income. Uh, that's the first step. Housing wise, we're also now involved in a a partnership with Habitat for Humanity and Bank of America where we're buying low cost units and then saving them and mentoring families to be able to buy these homes. And one of the greatest factors to build wealth in America is to own your own home. And many of these families have never been able to do that. The generation prior to them actually was excluded from buying homes. Uh, my generation, the the kids I grew up with in Charlotte, I know a couple of guys who I grew up with who happened to be black, whose dads, like my dad, served in World War II. But when they came out, they were ineligible for a VA loan because of their (laughs) race. They were ineligible to buy the home they lived in on the west side because those were redlined as areas that uh, housing uh, HUD would not lend in. (laughs) So there's some factors involved there that's kind of interesting. So giving, giving them an opportunity to buy a home is big for us. In addition to that, um, we are trying to, one of, the, one of our big initiatives has been to increase the opportunity of preschool education. Um, we found that education in the elementary schools in our area, third grade reading levels were less than 20%. Uh, There was a real challenge in preparing children to learn. And so we found there was a, in our community, was a great provider. Matter of fact, almost all of the third grade readers were coming out of the same preschool. So we went to that preschool and said, how can you expand? They said, we'd love to. Turned out they had the leadership ability, a lot of capabilities. There were bright future learning centers, who it was. And Gloria and Ray Dukes, who were the owners, said, we've got everything in place to grow, but we don't have the capital. (laughs) So we thought about that and right about that time, actually the the building I'm sitting in now was an old church on Tuckasegee Road that came available for sale. The pastor had passed away. They merged with another congregation. And so we went to them and said, we'd like to buy it. We'll pay your asking price, which by the way was half of what they were being honored, offered. And uh, we bought it and began to renovate the pre the uh, old Sunday school classes into a preschool so they could expand the capacity for preschools. And we just opened a few weeks ago. We've got uh, the capacity for about 75 children birth to three years old. And they don't just get a place to stay when mom goes to work. They're poured into, they're taught their colors, they're taught their numbers, they're taught to read, begin to read, <coughs> um, they're taught... A lot of things you have to learn to go to school, like how to stand in line, how to wait your turn for a meal. So we're excited to be able to expand preschool opportunities, uh, both to allow parents to work, as well as give children a great place to prepare for for their school life. So those are two big initiatives we have. The third I wanna tell you about is called Moms Moving Forward. Moms Moving Forward is a program. It's really the only program we run where we bring in cohorts of about 15 single moms. They have a life coach assigned to them for a year. And for that year, we have a workforce development manager that helps them find a better job. We have them to find um, sustainable and stable housing depending on their situations. We help uh, mentor them as far as their education of their children. What's the best school for them? How do they get tutors? What do they do? What do they need? Uh, Mental health issues. All of the factors for those families because single moms are by far the majority of head of households in West Charlotte. So we pour into them. So we do three of those cohorts a year. So we got 45 or 50 of these families coming through every year and all the things they bring with them. Many of their children are now in the preschool. Many of them are living in housing we've developed. So it, it all kind of meshes together. So that's that's kind of the big picture of what we're trying to do to uh, be a part of solutions for this economic mobility challenge on the West Side. I got
0: a question as far as, and there's a couple things I have questions of, but on on the uh, the moms program, I think that's phenomenal. And I think one of the biggest issues in society today is, is men not being dads, right? Not <coughs> taking that responsibility. I have a three and a one-year-old, and that's my number one priority, and I and, and you know I have been blessed, um, in a lot of ways, and you know I've worked hard, but I've also been blessed. But I that's my number one thing that that I want to take care of. I it's it's what I live for, and it shocks me that there's a lot of men out there that act like no offense, babies, and they don't take responsibility for being a father. What are what are we doing as a community, and what can we do as a community to try to educate men? to be men right like your kids need a dad and if your kid doesn't have a dad that's not it it sucks i'm not saying it's not gonna like you know someone's not gonna pan out but like in my mind there's a lot of men that aren't doing their job and i feel like that needs to change
1: well you got about five hours to talk about <laughs> I, know. I know i just threw you
0: a, i know i know and we've had people on this podcast talk a lot about this. Bart Noonan, who who started West Boulevard Ministry. Um, he's right there in your in your back backwoods. You know, a lot of different organizations that have tried to create, you know, these conversations and it's all about educating. And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's more workshops where people like me who value being a father need to be more involved to try to get other people to realize how important that is. And maybe you can shift that. I just would love to get your thoughts on it and you know, can the community do anything? What can we do? And I don't know. It's just something that always bothers me.
1: Well, it's pretty doggone overwhelming. I'll tell you that. And let me throw a couple of things out that may or may not have ever thought about. <clears throat> One is, you sound like you, I, my guess is you learned something about being a father from your own yes. or from the community you lived in. Yes, sir. Um, that's a big change that's hard for many to understand. Is what would it be like to know what a dad's supposed to be if you've never seen one? Yeah, good point. And so, we that's that doesn't make it right or doesn't make it excusable, but it makes it hard. It, it does, it, it explains a lot of things, but it makes it hard, uh, doesn't make it any more, less important. The second thing that I've come to learn about is there's some things in place that don't necessarily. Uh, incentivize dads being dads in the home. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is we know a family that uh, good family mom raising kids and unfortunately dad was in prison. Uh, Mom got a uh, got a nice apartment in a income-based housing situation and that was funded by low-income housing tax credits which One of the things that they require of their tenants is that nobody live in the home that's ever been a felon. Well, this dad came out of prison, had a great record in prison, had done everything he was asked to do, was out early, had a job when he got out, was ready to roll. Family couldn't wait for him to move back in, and he couldn't. He wasn't allowed to live with his family. Hmm. I'll just leave that with you. (laughs) Wow. I I mean... Second example, second example I'll give you, and we see this pretty often. First one was a little bit unusual. This happens a lot. Um, you, I don't know if you've ever heard of the benefits cliff, but uh, particularly in childcare, when uh, a family has a, an income that's fairly low say a mom's making 14 or $15 an hour um, or less, they can, receive childcare subsidies, which basically pays for almost all of their childcare. So they can take their kids to childcare eight hours a day, leave them there while they're at work. Great opportunity, They otherwise, how would they work, right? Well, once they reach a certain level of income, that benefit doesn't gradually go away, it quits. It just stops. So if they may, it may be for them they go from 1450 to 1550 an hour they actually lose almost $1000 a month in benefits for childcare and there's no way to make that up so they literally can't move ahead what I was going to tell you about dads though is that calculation is based is a little higher of income but changes or doesn't change when there's two incomes in the family you have to add them both up so if dad lives at home, they may lose their child care subsidy. That is whack.
0: That's insa- So how is that yeah, like, the- like as a government, right? Like literally, and I'm I'm not going to get into the whole political side of it, but this like pisses me off. You mm-hmm. get to a point where it's like, oh, I have 14.50 an hour. Well, I'll get this thought. What incentive is it to even go make more money to go get a better job? Because you have to make 20 to 25 an hour and make almost you know a huge jump to even be able to afford it. If you go over 14, like government, wake up. This is bullshit. I'm just going to say, that's crazy.
1: You're exactly right. And and I don't know where the answer is, but it's something that I'm pretty interested in right now. And would love to, to find out where we can make some policy change. From what I've learned, there's only one state that's made some change and that's New Hampshire has just recently happened. But wow. anyway, there's, that's, it does, it ticks me off too, um, but, it, and it doesn't, It doesn't answer your question, but it does say, hey, not only are we not helping to make it better for dads to be a part, we're actually, in some cases, hurting their chances. We're telling them, we don't want you in the home. We want you to stay out there. And trust me, when they're out there by themselves, trouble seems to happen more often. (laughs) It it probably would for me, too, if I didn't come home to my family every day.
0: I, I just I just look at this as a father and, and say we have to be better as a community, as a government, as a country, as everything to realize the importance of it. Like your example of a person that went to jail, like people make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Some mistakes are, are bigger than others. But if you go to jail, you do your time, you're you're you do everything right and you come out on time, and then we're telling you that you can't be with your family. Like what what in the world is that? Like you only I don't know I, i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm gonna slow down because I'm getting fired up, but that is that's something that needs to be addressed. And I think if you're listening to this podcast and you you know have government officials, if you have friends in politics, even if you don't even care about this topic, think about you being a dad, think about your kids not you know, growing up with a dad. Think about you making a mistake and coming back, and the government telling you that you can't be a part of your own family. Just put yourself in that seat. And and that's what people are going through, and that just blows my mind. So thank you for what you're doing on that. You just taught me a lot. Now, another thing I want to jump into quickly is you mentioned about owning a home. And the number one way to grow or raise gener- generational wealth is by owning a home. We just had a, a seminar where we had a, a broker that was talking to a networking group of ours that talked about – you know, how the, this, the home prices are skyrocketing. My wife's a realtor. You can see it. It's almost insane, right? You look in the last year and a half, prices have gone up $100,000, 100, $150,000 from the median of what Charlotte used to be. Almost unaffordable for new-time new time buyers. But the thing I want to ask you about is how we regulate everything in this country, but we're not regulating private hedge funds going in and buying out low-income neighborhoods and renting them out. Like I looked at all of this and it wasn't a question that was brought up, but if you look at businesses that are going to go in and buy in entire neighborhoods in low income areas, you are literally making it impossible for them to ever own a home unless they can afford a four, hundred fifty five dollars home. Have you run into those issues where you're seeing these companies come in and purchase entire neighborhoods and then either rent them out or, and I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that's part of the issue of pushing people out because I'm all about non-regulation, but I feel like there needs to be something there.
1: Yeah, I've got a tension in that myself. Uh, yeah. come out of private property rights and, and all that. And, and that's part of it. Um, but I don't know that we can say that's the bad guy in the situation. Um, you know, we still have to make it available. We have to make, there's barriers. If you've never bought a home, probably means your credit score is not that good because you had not had enough credit for your score to get up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you may have had to blemish on your record in the past so uh, a lot of lenders are starting to come to the table i'll give bank of america some shout out on that uh lending trees done some things or some others <laughs> that are coming to the table and saying hey what can we do how can we understand where these people have come from because they're pretty good risk when it's their first home and they've done the right things to get there they're not going to let anything happen to that uh, so we need we need some of that the affordability piece is, uh, you know, that's, it's capitalism, it's, it's the marketplace, how do you, how do you control that? I have no idea. But there's always going to be some areas that are farther out this, you know, in different geographies, that, um, that are more affordable than others. <laughs> that's just a reality of, of the world. Mm-hmm. And so we can go other places, create those. Um, but but making it where they've got the income to buy, where they've got the credit accessibility to buy. And I'll tell you something that people don't realize knocks a lot of people out of the marketplace, is you know, you were just describing how competitive the Charlotte market's been. <clears throat> so if you've been involved in that, you know that if you put a property on the market for sale, you end up with four or five contracts. Maybe I hear stories of 10 or 15. Mm-hmm. And you pick the ones that are what? Highest price and the fewest conditions. You know, if you get one like most of these first time homebuyers and it says, well, I've got to be approved for down payment assistance by Bank of America. I've got to be approved for a 95% loan. I've got to be, my home inspector's got to approve it, which all of these first time homebuyers have to have. Well, that, that contract's not the one they're going to choose.
0: <laughs> guy over here with cash is, exactly. is likely getting that deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. The guy you with know. cash is going to get the deal. Yeah. Or the guys that's got enough guts to say, well, I'll give you a contract that's free of conditions, even though I got to go get a mortgage and I'll put my money at risk. So that alone has knocked most people out of the market. So some of the things we're doing is to to say, these are the only buyers we want to work with to sell to. So we're, we, and we want you to come in with all of those conditions and we're going to help you get through them. And if you got cash, go somewhere else, <laughs> but we yeah. want we to just with, with these others so that people don't realize how big of an impediment that is to the marketplace.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. My wife's a realtor and I hear all about it all the time. It is crazy. She actually just helped her friend uh, and her family. They bought their first home and they have, uh, they have two kids and it was like such a cool moment, but it was a struggle. You know, I think they lost five, six, seven homes until they got their last one. Um, but that's uh, that's wild. So on to more like positive things because I know I got it all fired up here. But you guys, it seems like you guys are doing a lot, and not just tackling one project, trying to talk tackle a lot of projects, get more people involved. What do you need from the community, and what's next for you and Freedom Communities? <clears throat>
1: um, what we need the most is uh you know it it comes in and we've really been blessed um there's always financial support there's you know and we're a little different we have opportunities we operate on a lot of philanthropy um, that comes our way people just being able to gift dollars but we also operate off of what we call impact investments a lot of the real estate that we get involved with uh, we actually just use other people's money at a very low cost, maybe a one or two percent return, very soft terms. You know, we'll get you back in ten years, and we'll pay interest only till we can get there. We use that money to do projects, and then give it back to them. So there's a lot of people out there that that maybe have cash sitting on the sidelines that like good something good to happen with it, but like to get it back one day. So we can we can use some different kinds of financial uh, interventions with us. <clears throat> But then we have lots and lots of volunteer opportunities. Uh, a lot of companies who say, "Hey, we want our our employees to take part in some things." We can get them involved, and that can include everything from a one day work day to do something to uh, being a mentor. Uh, we, for instance, one of the things when we bought this old church, we converted the sanctuary to uh, sort of a multi purpose space, and we hold uh, computer classes in there. We host cohort dinners for our moms moving forward. We host neighborhood meetings. We host an entrepreneur's academy in there from Aspire Community Capital. And we need volunteers to just be hosts and and mentors and be there every week and say, hey, how's it going? Do you need help with this? Show them where the cursor is on their computer and show them how to find a spreadsheet. Uh, So we can use all those kinds of people to get involved in what we're doing. So there's there's lots and lots of ways to get involved. Our website is a great place to explore that. There's a there's a link there to to say hey, I'd like to help, and we'll connect with you. That way is the best way. That is awesome.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate you coming on. I think there's a lot of of um, great conversation around this, but I also think there's a lot of people that could help that maybe. Don't even know how to help. And, and hopefully that they've been able to listen to this to learn a little bit more. Um, you know, really proud of you. I, I love I'm I'm not a Charlatan, my wife is. I've been here since 2010, but I, I figure this is home now. And it's so neat to see people that were raised here, that truly love this city, uh, and now are are taking your strengths and, and helping other people as well. And I think that's something that will be your legacy and uh and I think you should be really proud of that.
1: Well, thanks. You know, I love this city. <laughs> Uh, I love growing up here. It has its flaws and it's, and it's not the same city I grew up in, but, uh, but it is one of the greatest cities I've traveled a lot in the country in my work. And and this is one of the, truly the greatest cities in America and can be, but we also have like every city, like every human being, we've got our flaws and, and we've got this thing hanging over us that we need to do better at. Mm -hmm. And I think we will. I
0: love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you for your work. So cool. Well, definitely, if you are listening, please like, share, comment, go check out Freedom Communities, see all the things that they're doing. Their website is awesome. Uh, you can go to freedomcommunities.com, check out their work. They're about us. It talks all about the different things that uh, we were so blessed to hear about uh, on this podcast and cannot wait to hear, you know, where you guys go from here and what you do. And, um, you know, really, really excited to have the opportunity. Thank you much, so much for joining us. And uh, like I said, everybody, please check out Freedom Communities and see all the great work that they're
1: doing. Thanks, guys. We'd love to follow up on this again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark.
0: Until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.